So welcome to IndieLive.radio and we have got two great guests here for you today. Um, this is a very important day, the 22nd of January 2021, and it's important for reasons connected with CND, and that's why we've got two guests from Glasgow CND on today, and we're delighted to welcome Johnny Hunter. Hello, Johnny. Hi there, how's it going? Very well, thanks. <laughs> and the Iona Soper. Hello, Iona. Hiya. Are you two guys are okay today? Yeah, getting on well, just uh, working away despite the despite the lockdown. I know it's it's a bit of a it's a search job, as we say when I come from. <laughs> we have to keep going. So, uh, and I'm Valerie Gold, and uh, I'm here with the co my co-host uh, Marlene Halliday. Yeah, good morning, everyone. I'd like to start um, maybe by asking yourselves, Johnny and Iona, um, about your own involvement in CND, you know, how long you've been involved with Glasgow CND and what inspired you to get involved. Could we start with you, Iona, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I've been sort of knocking about the Scottish peace movement for the last kind of four or five years. Um, I initially kind of kicked things off in more of an academic capacity. Um, I was, yeah, it was part of my degree. Um, I decided to go off and study uh, the Fastlane Peace Camp out on the West Coast um, and kind of started researching all of these issues because of that. And then obviously went off, spent the summer there and realised that I was much better at doing that than I was at being a student. So went off quickly, graduated, got my degree and then moved back. Um, so I was very involved with the peace camp and I, I remain very involved with the peace camp even though I don't live there anymore. Um, I took a wee stint in the Scottish CND office and did some work with Peace Education Scotland. Um, I'm currently working with a kind of new organisation called Secure Scotland that's again looking at some of these kind of issues around rethinking security and defence and what it all means. Um, and I think, I mean, I think ultimately that there was there was a very clear turning point for me when I sort of realized that I wasn't I wasn't about to let this go um which was it was when uh when the Trident renewal vote happened in Westminster in 2016 uh, I was up at Faslane giving an interview to the to the BBC and uh they they got me up and I think I was just meant to be giving a wee quick interview uh for a quick segment on the news but they sort of went oh while you're here you know let's get you to have a sort of live debate with a local councillor um, all about Faslane and the, the sort of pros and cons of it being there and the entire interview all of the kind of things all of the kind of issues that were being raised it was none of the humanitarian causes it was none of the expense causes it was nothing to do with the kind of reality of what nuclear weapons are it was all kind of this this notion of you know how's Helensburg going to survive how are we going to keep the local Tesco open if the base goes and you're realizing that actually not only are the people that are advocating for the nuclear weapons in Scotland completely unaware of the actual campaign against them. I mean, to the best of my knowledge, not one agency is advocating for the removal of Fastlane. Um, and you're realizing that all of these arguments are just being put out to kind of patronize the masses and kind of keep everyone quiet and keep everyone thinking about things on a really local issue rather than kind of facing up to the reality of, of what these are. I mean, they're weapons of mass destruction, you know, Absolutely. and they're right on our doorstep. Um, so I think that was definitely the point for me where I was like a dog with a bone and I was not about to let it go and, and I still haven't. So here we are. Sounds, <laughs> like, you're, you're, uh, sounds yeah. like you're already a great spokesperson for C&D um, and, and disarmament. How about yourself, Johnny? Um, how, what, how, what is your route into being interested in this area? 
Uh, yeah, I'm not, not sure it's as uh, exciting or enthralling as uh, Iona's. That was a tough act to follow. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I came to CND um, my own way, probably quite a typical way for a lot of folk. Um, I think I've been a member probably since I was um, turned 16 and first started getting involved in uh, politics, um, you know, uh, left-wing politics and trade union movement. Um, so, as I said, I joined when I was 16. I think even from quite a young age, um, you know, it was apparent to me that, you know, war in general um, is, you know, anathema to what we think about is, you know, you know, good human nature, what it defines to be human, not uh, harming your fellow man, regardless of their, their country. Um, and, you know, nuclear weapons, as I want to touch on, is, you know, the, the insanity of war taken to its logical conclusion, you know, um, weapons with so-called mutual assured destruction um, that, you know, the only loser um, in that zero-sum game is a human race. Um, so, you know, I, I think for, for most right-minded uh, people, and I think the vast majority of people in Scotland and internationally, uh, nuclear weapons are, uh, you know, offensive in general terms. I, I think as well at that time, though, when I, I was first sort of getting involved with politics, you know, that was really the, the coming on of the, the age of austerity. Um, so, you know, you had the, the condemned government getting in um, in Westminster. Uh, so at the same time as, you know, um, food was being taken out, the, the mouths of children living in poverty, and disabled people were being driven to death and suicide. You know, the NHS was being gutted, the education system that was already crumbling, um, was having further resources withdrawn. Uh, we were being told by these politicians that it was sensible um, to squander hundreds of billions of pounds in nuclear weapons. Uh, you know, we were we were all in it together in that sense. Um, and you know, I, I think I think that that um, context really added to the um, you know the um, inhumanity and the the ridiculousness of how much this country spends in nuclear weapons. And I think it added another uh, powerful argument. The folk campaigning against nuclear weapons in Scotland and in Britain and across the world, really. Um, and, you know, it goes without saying that the, the peace movement in Scotland, um, it, you know, has a really proud history. Um, as I want to touch on, you know, I think the, the peace camp up at Fastlane uh, yeah. captures uh, captures the imagination of a lot of folk. Um, and it certainly, um, you know, does so much to add to the prominence um, of the campaign in Scotland. Um, but you know you have you have um, the history of thousands of people um, all across the country um, giving their time sometimes a little sometimes a lot to what's a really important issue, and uh, you know a lot of folk don't uh, realise that nuclear weapons still pose an existential threat to humanity alongside uh, alongside climate change. Uh, so that that was probably my uh, long-winded route into uh, CND. <laughs> I'm fascinated to listen to both of you. It's so very it's, impressive. Yeah, it's amazing. It's just really, really interesting. Um, so I, I was going to ask you about what support you'd like to see from you know the general public, but before we do that, I'd like to ask you about the particular significance of. Uh, Friday the 22nd of January in terms of um, the international treaty so I'm sure you'd both like to tell us a bit about that could I start with you this time Johnny and ask you um, just to explain to the listeners about the treaty yeah no no problem at all helpful that you uh, chose me because when uh, speaking to Iona beforehand we agreed to divvy it up that way so you didn't throw a throw a spanner in the works too early uh, so uh, 
feel free to pass the you know pass the the sort of a speak the mic to the other person if it's more appropriate at any time. We just want to hear from both of you. So yeah, no, no, no worries. Uh, so uh, as as you alluded to, uh, the the twenty second um, uh, January um, from Friday, it's been the the uh, treaty. Um, uh, for the prohibition of nuclear weapons, sorry, I was so excited by it, I forgot the full name there. Uh, the Treaty for the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons uh, comes into force internationally. Um, so just going a few years back, the, the um, on the 7th of July 2017, it was after a decade uh, advocacy by the International Campaign for the um, Abolition of Nuclear Weapons and its partners, including Scottish CND, um, managed to get an overwhelming majority of the world's countries to adopt this landmark global agreement uh, to ban nuclear weapons. That's the Treaty for Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, TPNW um, for short, which helps if you're uh, having to say it a lot, of course. <laughs> um, so <laughs> prior to this treaty's adoption, it really does need to be remembered that nuclear weapons were uh, one of the only weapons of mass destruction that weren't subject to this type of comprehensive ban despite the fact that, you know, as, as we said, these are uh, catastrophic weapons, uh, widespread and persistent in terms of their humanitarian and their environmental impact. Um, so it was the view of uh, CND and uh, peace campaigners around the world that the TPNW could really fill in what's a significant gap in international law. In terms of what the, the agreement uh, does, it prohibits nations from developing, testing, producing, manufacturing, transferring, possessing, stockpiling, using or threatening to use nuclear weapons or allowing nuclear weapons to be stationed in their territory. And it would also prohibit them from assisting, encouraging or inducing anyone else to engage in those sorts of activities. So as you can tell, it's intended to be a very comprehensive document in that respect. So you know, what, what, what does that mean for a, a country like Scotland or, or, or Britain at present? You know, a nation that does possess uh, nuclear weapons can join the treaty so long as it agrees to destroy them in accordance with uh, a legally binding and time-bound plan. Uh, at the same time, you know, a nation that hosts another nation's nuclear weapons uh, on its territory can also join as long as it agrees to remove them within a specified deadline. Uh, and countries that are signing up to the treaty uh, also have an obligation, which is very important, to provide assistance uh, to all the victims of the use and testing of nuclear weapons over the years and to take measures uh, to remedy contaminated environments, of which there are a great many. And uh, you'll find as well in the document, the preamble acknowledges that harm that's been suffered as a result of nuclear weapons, including the disproportionate impact uh, on women and girls and indigenous peoples, particularly around the world. Uh, so even though it's not been signed or ratified yet in Scotland uh, or, or in Britain, we still consider it's a really powerful tool for everyone fighting for nuclear disarmament. And it shows that uh, it's not just history that's on our side, but it's the majority of the world. Um, so I, I've got a, a few points as well about how uh, people can support it, but I'll just uh, see if I want to add anything to that. Yeah, absolutely. That was that was that was great. Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the one of the um, most beautiful things about this treaty, which I think you you picked up on there, is the fact that it explicitly states that not only can you not use nuclear weapons, but you can't threaten their use. And whilst it kind of seems like this is just an obvious kind of afterthought, what that part of the treaty actually does is it kind of decimates the whole deterrence argument 
which all of the nuclear state armed states actually kind of rely on in terms of their their own kind of legal infrastructure. Um, so we in the UK, for example, Trident, we operate under a policy known as MAD, Mutually Assured Destruction, which is this kind of idea that we have early warning systems. We'll know if somebody fires a nuclear weapon at us and we'll have time to be able to fire one back. So it's written into our kind of uh, our kind of <clears throat> constitution for having nuclear weapons that we'll have um, that will we will threaten to use them in this way. And so this kind of makes this kind of um, strategy completely illegal um, under under sort of under international law for the countries that sign it, um, which which is really important. Um, and I think that's essentially it's this is. Yeah, this treaty, it's come about at a time in where, um, as, as Johnny's kind of touched on, there wasn't really too much in terms of when you're campaigning against uh, nuclear weapons, you're always kind of trying to look for um, ways that you can define them as being illegal. So they are legal under, for example, the Geneva Convention, or are they illegal under, um, you know, various other weapons treaties? Um, so the most kind of solid one that we had up until this point was the uh, Non-Proliferation Treaty. Um, which the UK actually did sign in 1970. Um, and the Non-Proliferation Treaty kind of had three pillars. Um, so the first pillar, which is the one that kind of gets focused on, is this idea that we would not proliferate the use of nuclear weapons. So we would not increase our stockpiles. We would not increase the uh, capability of our warheads. We would not kind of make them any more powerful than they already were. The second pillar was, in fact, disarmament. Um, so all of the countries that signed pledged that they had uh, a shared goal of global nuclear disarmament and that they were going to work towards this. Um, and then the third pillar was about the peaceful use of uh, nuclear energy um, and the insurance that the nuclear energy industries would be used for peaceful methods and civilian methods only and would not be used as kind of testing grounds to develop new uh, kind of weaponry uses. Um, so the UK actually did sign this one um, back in 1970. However, the wording of the treaty is incredibly vague. It doesn't set deadlines. Um, it doesn't really set specific quotas. Um, and essentially, I mean, you could argue that all three pillars have been vastly ignored by mm. all of the kind of signatory states um, since its inception. So in 2020, we actually had the 50th anniversary of the Non-Proliferation Treaty. And so it was up for, uh, there was to be a review conference held uh, but sadly, uh, that was postponed because obviously uh, the pandemic hit. Um, so that is due to happen also this year. Um, it's said to happen before April this year. So I think it's actually interesting that it's going to kind of coincide within a few months of this kind of new treaty entering into force, which I think was largely designed to kind of try and address that kind of vagueness and be like, yeah, we're not we're not messing around here. We're not and we're not having any of your vague statements. You're getting rid of them. You're getting rid of them now. Um, so yeah. and I think so we've got in terms of like how all of this affects um, kind of us here in Scotland, as Johnny was saying, and, and here in the UK, because the UK obviously has not signed the TPNW and actually refused to even send anybody to the negotiations to even consider signing uh, the TPNW. Um, However, you know, it's, it's not the end of the road for us. Um, so there, there has already been, I mean, since 2017, when we kind of had the initial signing of this by 122 countries, you've already seen over 50 major uh, leading kind of global financial institutions divest their money from the nuclear weapons industry. 
Um, so the treaty is kind of being felt all over the world, even in the countries that refuse to sign it. Can, can I just ask something, um, probably background information from you and Johnny's point of view, but list, people listening may be wondering what, why was why has there been three years or maybe even nearly four years between it first being taken to the UN and and now something happening four years later? Why why the delay? So um, in 2017, um, the UN essentially held held a summit um, for countries to come together and negotiate and work on the treaty and come together and kind of create the treaty and have it supported by the countries. So. What had then happened in terms of the UN's legal process is that it will be signed, but it will not become international law until it's been ratified by at least 50 of the countries that signed it. Now, what ratifying it means is essentially that you have to then take the treaty, take everything that it means, bring that back to your country and put it through your country's legal democratic process and make sure that everything that's going on in terms of your country's kind of laws and all of that is um you know in in line with with everything that the treaty said so for a lot of countries this was able to happen very quickly because they don't have any dealings with the nuclear industry and they were able to ratify it quite quickly for others it took a little bit longer to put it through the democratic process for one reason or another and so you've got for some countries it might take several years before they're able to ratify yeah, it fully yeah. um but this treaty is actually ratified faster than any other weapons ban treaty um, countries were really, really going for it. So it took us only three years to hit the mark of 50 countries. So we've got out of 122 countries that signed, we're hoping we'll get 122 ratifications, but we only needed 50 to hit that mark where the UN right. says, right, that's it, it becomes international law. So we hit the, the 50th ratification um, back in, I think it was the end of October, uh, middle of October, something like that. Um, at which point I think it's 50 days from the date of uh, that happening, is it 50 days or 100 days? I'm getting, oh God, I'm getting this wrong. Uh, it's, it's a certain certain fixed number of days. I'll sit and do the math uh, until, and then uh, after that uh, 50th ratification that it enters into force. So what we're seeing on the 22nd of January is the entry into force date, where it then becomes solid and binding um, for all of the countries that have signed it. Um, after this point, if they're then, you know, it becomes enforceable. <clears throat> so that's through, that's really that's really helpful. That's really helpful. Um, only now I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so it's um, binding, and then there's a phrase on those who have signed it. So I'm guessing that no current nuclear um, nuclear states will have signed it. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Signed. Yeah. Yeah. So does that leave, I mean, that leaves me feeling a bit, um, okay, so business as usual. Um, but that's, that's presumably, is, is, it might be understandable that I'm thinking that, but presumably that's wrong because actually it just sounds like it's a massive step forward, you know, in what's a, a longer game, isn't it? There's, a, there's going to be other things needed before we actually do manage to get rid of nuclear arms. Yeah, I, I, absolutely, and it's, I'm sure uh, Iona would agree. You know, it's a it's a longer term process that will take. Uh, you know, mass movements in a number of countries, not least the nuclear armed ones. But um, you know, in addition to what we've said, a treaty like this is a big step in removing the legitimacy 
um, of that very small minority of countries and retaining these arms um, and isolating that diplomatically. And it needs to be remembered that uh, to maintain um, and facilitate these weapons, they do rely on a number of nominally uh, non-nuclear armed allies. So, um, you know, increasing the number of countries that are out with that web is always a big step forward right. in that sense as well. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's optimistic for the future. Um, so what about the, the, the idea of how, like, anybody who's listening who's not a member of CND but would want to support? Um, I, I mean, I think it, it's it's fair to say that the vast majority of people that, well, that I come into contact with are definitely against nuclear weapons. But there is a lot of ignorance about it, and I don't think it's been quite as much on people's radar as it maybe used to be, you know, like back back in the day so um and it's thanks to people like yourselves that that you know that that is being that you know that it has been more people are being made more aware how could how can people you know support what cnd are doing without you know like obviously they can join but what in what other ways can could you think the public can support you I'm happy to then dive in now unless you're keen. Yeah, on you go, Johnny. Uh, I've, got, I've, got, I've got a list, but I'll let you, I'll let you run. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure yours is more exhaustive than uh, than mine. Uh, so, well, I, as you said, uh, well, in, in addition to uh, joining uh, Scottish C&D, which of course um, we would uh, encourage folk to do, but um, out with that, you know, um, in the first instance, finding out about the arguments, because as you said, um, you know, I think a lot of folk um, probably have quite an instinctual, um, you know, um, distrust and draw opposition to nuclear weapons, but they might not, um, as you say, be aware of some of the, the intricate arguments because they're, they're not given a lot of time in the monopoly controlled media. Um, and, you know, there, there's, there's some orthodoxies that are just accepted about, you know, the need to, and maintain mutually assured destruction, etc. Um, so familiarising yourself um, with those sorts of arguments, um, and once you're equipped with those, having those sorts of discussions in your community, in your workplace, in your school campus, in your university campus, um, and you know trying to persuade folk in the arguments against nuclear weapons, and, and that might seem like a small um, step on an individual basis, but it's those sorts of small acts brought together that you know form the broad movement that can achieve something like this. You know, if you're a member of a, a, a trade union, have that discussion in your branch. If you're a member of a political party, uh, bring those arguments to your, your national uh, conference and, and win, win the arguments, hopefully. We uh, have done that in our SNP Kelvin branch. Um, Jean Anderson is in our branch and they brought uh, a motion on the nuclear roadmap to the conference. Um, I know that they, they, uh, they were a bit disappointed because they felt it had been watered down a bit, <laughs> um, but that they're persisting with that. And that that I can tell you that at SNP conference, the one thing that gets massive applause is when they, people speak out against nuclear weapons. It's it's unbelievable. It's one of the most um, the things that that seems to motivate people the most it really does it's quite it's quite marked when you're in the hall when when anybody brings it up the you know it really is I wonder did you have anything to add um I mean yeah yeah absolutely um I mean I think it's it's, it's great that you mentioned the roadmap report um again to, to your listeners uh, go to the Scottish CND website and check out the uh, roadmap to trident removal report 
Um, and, and you know, while you're there, I mean, some of the other reports are, are fantastic in terms of, I mean, as I was talking about earlier, a lot of the arguments that you hear in Scotland, it's all about, oh, you know, but what about the jobs and what about this and that? Um, without really being aware that there's lots of work being done all over the UK on issues like defence diversification and, you know, uh, you know, finding suitable alternatives um, and kind of peaceful alternatives for these technologies and for these jobs uh, and all of these things that, that are going on. So, yeah, really familiarise yourself with all of that stuff so that when you're having your argument at 2 a.m. down the pub, you know, you're a bit clued up and you can actually say, actually, well, you know, you're wrong. Here's a report about this and that. Um, I mean, I would say, I mean, this. Sorry, carry on. I beg your pardon. Um, but yeah, I mean, following on from Johnny, what Johnny was saying, I mean, I think in terms of, you know, sort of really sort of pushing stuff and getting stuff out there, you can put, you know, putting pressure on your local council to join the nuclear free local authorities. Uh, you can put pressure on your bank or your pension fund or your university or your the company you work for to divest money from nuclear weapons and the arms trade. Um, you can find more about that by checking out the Don't Bank on the Bomb campaign, um, which has got a great presence in Scotland as well. Um, what we can, we, we can also do, I mean, certainly in reference to um, the treaty um, is, I mean, we're in a bit of a bizarre position in Scotland. So when the treaty was initially signed, uh, we actually had a symbolic signing of the treaty at Holyrood, even though we weren't obviously weren't allowed to sign the actual thing. Um, but the thing is, there are there are parts of the treaty um, which include things that fall under devolution, under devolved powers. So there are certain parts of it that if it wanted to, Holyrood could begin to ratify, as I said, kind of put it through the process and make it a part of your infrastructure, even if we can't sign it. And one of those things is education. Um, so one of the really nice parts of the treaty, it says, you know, you've got to emphasize the importance of peace education, put that into your schooling system. Um, and we're starting to get some great infrastructure in Scotland for that. Um, as I said, Peace Education Scotland um, is a great organization. It's got lots of teaching modules on their website, all about various issues to do with nuclear weapons. Uh, not explicitly political, everything's just educational uh, and they're all downloadable for free. Um, so if you're a teacher or a parent um, trying to come up with creative new lesson plans during lockdown, they can be great materials to uh, to check out. Um, and I'm just going to finish on, on terms of, um, sorry, I'm just, this is my last point, I promise. Um, in terms <laughs> no, it's of, great, it's on, uh, on, on the 22nd, uh, on the day, um, we're going to be, there's going to be certain things that you can do. I think we're trying to encourage people to go out and clap. Um, I think there's going to be bell ringing in certain cities, but you can check out the activities at um, www.nuclearban.scot. Um, and for those of you like myself who prefer to sit and campaign under a blanket, um, we're also hoping to have a Twitter storm going on quite active on the day. Um, so if you want to take part in that, um, we're using hashtag nuclear ban is the kind of international ICANN uh, sort of hashtag that's going to be going out. And it's going to be hashtag nukes out UK for the UK Hash, kind of Twitter storm. Okay, okay. Bearing in mind that this interview will be going out on Friday the 22nd, so people should be doing it right now. Perfect, <laughs> because I'm not, allowed to reveal, I'm not allowed to reveal that information until the 22nd, so I'm banking <laughs> fine, on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking at your website and, you know, there, there's quite a lot of information there about how people can learn more about the nuclear ban and how they can find a step-by-step -step guide to um, 
ask their banks and their pension providers not to support nuclear weapons and also there's links to a whole list a whole list of events and celebrations around the world that people if they're sitting at home they can tune into so thanks Marlene what was that you wanted to ask when I stopped you it was just because I was conscious that we were supposed to be going to Iona for her take so can I bring you in now sorry about that Yes, actually, I think I've now forgotten what it was um, when that happened. Um, but actually, I, I, there's something that's a couple other things. Um, I think you've kind of touched on them uh, indirectly, uh, Iona. But when I was uh, reading through the, um, the uh, emails that I get from Scottish CND, I, I came across something called a TPNW challenge. A sort of day by day challenge. I think is it is it this week in the run up to Friday the twenty second that it's happening. Can you tell us something about that? Yeah, I'm happy just because I've got it conveniently up in front of me. Um, so <laughs> as as you mentioned, <laughs> Marlene, it's it's a day by day and it's actually already commenced. But um, there's no reason that folk can't um get on the the bandwagon and. Uh, take up some of these tasks even after the date and um, because you know it's all really important work and and part of advancing that campaign for nuclear disarmament and um, so that the first part of the um challenge is alerting the media so that can be uh, writing a letter to your local paper your parish magazine your favorite online publication and we've got a template online with some suggestions at bandthebomb.org um, the, the next uh, challenge is to make some art, so that could be anything from uh, writing a poem, making music, uh, creating a poster to celebrate the nuclear ban to put in your window this Friday. Um, I wouldn't uh, challenge myself to that because I'm not uh, all that creative, but uh, I'm sure there's <laughs> some folk out there that are more than capable. Uh, as Iona touched on um, already, and I think this is definitely one that can be carried forward, um, is to teach peace. Um, so you can go about that by contacting um, your, your local school um, and ask them to include peace education in their curriculum. And there's a lot of resources for that, as I want to mention, at peaceeducationscotland.org. Um, another one that I want to touch on already was um, money talks. Um, so that's about contacting your bank or your pension provider or any other sort of institution in that nature um, and telling them about the treaty and, and you know, requesting that they um, cease and, and cease and desist from investing in nuclear weapons. And again, there's template letters for that online at nukedivestmentscotland.org. Um, the, the challenge um, for uh, Wednesday the 20th is to listen to survivors. And again, uh, Scottish CND social media is a really invaluable resource for that. There's a lot of really excellent and uh, moving resources there. Um, but you can hear the stories of uh, nuclear test survivors um, and, and other testimonies. So I'd strongly encourage folk to uh, undertake that part of the challenge. Um, the uh, next is to write to your representative. So contacting your politicians, as Iona uh, mentioned, that can be uh, anyone up for, from council upwards. Um, so um, contact them, tell them about uh, the, the, the TPNW, ask them to sign the ICANN pledge um, in support of the nuclear ban. And uh, if they've already done so, you can just send them a nice thank you letter, of course. And there's uh, plenty of information about that on um, ICANW.org. Uh, and uh, finally, uh, as has already been touched on, uh, this Friday, just join the celebrations. Um, there will be, uh, obviously, as I want to mention, you can get out on your own doorstep 
um, which is uh, probably, probably quite uh, stirring, but there's a, a, a virtual event as well that folk can join. Um, so you can add your, your voice to the uh, the celebration and the noise around the, uh, the coming into force of the tree. Oh, fantastic. I, it's, I, I'm just picking up on what you said about, um, you know, listening or watching to information from survivors, because that... Um, that's where you can really kind of get into people on a very deep emotional kind of level, really, can't you? And uh, one, uh, some months back, <coughs> excuse me, well, it was last year, um, Val and I interviewed um, uh, three people, I think it was, uh, at the anniversary of the 75th anniversary of uh, Nagasaki bomb being dropped. And one of the people we talked to was Isabel Lindsay, who's a, you know, active cnd scottish cnd member and uh i was really moved at um some of what she talked about i mean obviously not because she's a survivor but her father was involved in um japan after that after those attacks happened i mean he was he was presumably there some military concept uh connection and she just talked about what she'd learned from him and He'd obviously been highly affected by it, so had she. And, I mean, I was listening to her, actually. It's just uh, a really, really good way of bringing home to people what it might actually mean. And actually, the other thing that occurs to me is kind of even all those awards that the the Chernobyl um uh, series uh, got. I mean, not about a not about a you know a nuclear attack, but about a nuclear accident. Um, that was that kind of got it home to people to people as well. So, what? So anyway, hopefully, you know, loads of loads of folk are taking up on that. Um, yeah, TN, TPNW challenge. Can I ask a question? You mentioned Marlene mentioned nuclear accidents, and I noticed there's an article in the National today about the fact that despite the fact that we're in the middle of a full-blown pandemic and there's also a severe weather warning coming up shortly that there's still nuclear convoys on the road and that at the weekend a nuclear convoy passed through central and southern Scotland tri carrying Trident nuclear missile warheads um, and it was going to the Royal Naval Armaments Depot at Coolport which is just beside the Clyde submarine base at Faslane. Would um, Iona, would you like to comment on that? Yeah, I mean they just won't they just won't stop, will they? Um <laughs> I mean we get usually over six convoys a year. Um and yeah, so they start off down at an air face, an airfield in uh in Burfield, um, which is right down in uh, kind of south of England. Um, and they come up on the public roads and they come right the way through Scotland. And sometimes they'll kind of sneak up um, kind of on the west and kind of uh, through kind of on the M8 kind of through Glasgow. And sometimes they'll take a more kind of northern route through Stirling and kind of along west that way. Um, and they but yeah, I mean, they're, they're on public roads the entire time and they are absolutely notorious for um getting into having safety incidences and safety breaches um and it's something that's really been kind of highlighted in the campaign in the last sort of three years um particularly by an organization called nuke watch um mm. that really there is no kind of plan in place for what happens when there is a safety breach um and that actually there's a bit of kind of back and forth between uh the kind of scottish local authorities and kind of westminster as to 
whose responsibility it is to actually make sure that there are risk assessments and contingency plans in place. Um, but I mean, the, the convoys are, yeah, they're kind of notoriously unstable, really. I mean, there were 44 safety incidents with convoys reported for 2017 alone, um, which if you think about it, I mean, you have, you know, generally speaking, six to 10 convoys a year. That's kind of multiple safety incidences per convoy. Um, and, and it does seem to be rising. I mean, there was only, for example, six recorded incidences in 2009. Um, but there's a total of 179 for the last 10 years in total. Um, so, I mean, if you think about, you know, six to, six to eight convoys a year, let's be generous and say, even if you had 85 convoys in that time, that's still at least two safety incidences per convoy, mm, if you mm. kind of average it out. So generally speaking, they are kind of notoriously unsafe. Um, and so they, the MOD kind of, they put on these kind of mock accident exercises. Sorry, did you want to come in there? Well, I was just going to say that I remember a, about a year ago or so, there was an incident where they had crossed the Erskine Bridge at a time of high winds, uh, you know, in order to get to Faslane. And I just, I thought that was quite a terrifying prospect, having a nuclear convoy crossing the Erskine Bridge in high winds. Absolutely. And if you've ever seen one, I mean, I think the thing that always surprises me is that civilian cars get stuck in them accidentally. Um, if you've ever seen one go past, you know, you get all of the kind of the police cars and the security cars, and then you've got the big warhead carriers. And then you've got this kind of terrified looking guy in a in a Fiat, you know, <laughs> who's obviously just pulled into the motorway at absolutely the wrong moment got trapped in the middle of this convoy and now just has to go to Coalport because he can't get back out of it. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, they're big. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're talking about multiple, multiple vehicles, um, lots of vehicles and that are kind of, yeah, that are, and, and yeah, people just get stuck in them um, and as they go along. Um, um, you know, I mean, they, yeah. so they, the MOD kind of have a very, mm -hmm. oh no, on you go. No, no, carry on, Iona. Sorry, carry on. Oh, thank you, pardon. So the MOD have at various points over the years kind of role-played this idea of what it might be like if there were to be a more serious kind of accident with one of these convoys. Um, and they role-play them in kind of various locations. There was one uh, in 2011 at a, a naval base in Ayrshire. Um, there was another one called Exercise Astral Climb at another, an old coal base uh, in, in Fife, um, <laughs> where essentially they kind of, they attempt to role play what would happen if, for example, a heavy goods vehicle collided with a weapons carrier and both kind of overturned and were seeping radioactive waste, or what would happen if two of the carriers collided into one another or something like this. And there was some kind of accident involving radioactive waste kind of being leaked on the roads. Um, and every single time they do these exercises, they just get absolutely, I mean, they they never re release uh, the results, um, which which they should under Freedom of Information Act. They are supposed to re release the results quite instantly. And they tend to kind of hold off for a couple of years because uh, because it's to avoid embarrassment, because every single time. So I think the first one in 2011, it took five and a half hours for anyone from the MOD to respond to this uh, so-called accident because it had happened up in Scotland and there was no um, there was no M MOD contingency planning for the convoy accidents. And then I think the second time they realized that everybody involved would have been 
contaminated because the the protective equipment that they were using to avoid the contamination was completely useless. And because everyone was wandering around in these useless respirators, it completely broke down any level of communication between different agencies. I think there was another issue where the police had neglected to inform their commander to even attend any of the kind of briefing meetings about it. And they always kind of result in just kind of an absolute mess where they realize, okay, this is this is terrible. Everybody would have died. Sounds really uh, frightening. I tell you what, um, thinking about the convoys, I'll tell you what's brought to my mind is the thought of the, the amazing, redoubtable Brian Quayle, who's, despite <laughs> the fact that he's over 80, is uh, well known for lying down in the road in front of them. Um, and I just wondered um, if you had any word of Brian, because I know he was ill and in the hospital recently. Do you have any news? Or maybe, I don't, you maybe don't have any news about Brian, do you? Do you, do you know how he's keeping? It's going to take more than a trip to the hospital to, <laughs> to keep Brian down. Brian is, he's, he's very well. Last I've seen him, um, we have been, yeah, the last few times I've been trying to persuade Brian not to go down to Faz Lane on the 22nd and fling himself in front of the gates yeah. and get himself arrested. He was very much hoping to be vaccinated in time. And we've all <laughs> been going, Brian, you're not well, stay home. It's <laughs> lovely energy. He's, he's amazing. Well, he that's, is amazing. That's, yeah. good news. that's brilliant news. I'm glad to hear it. So um, I'm conscious of the time. It's fascinating listening to both of you. Um, I was wondering if we could just move on to hopes for the future. You know, what are your hopes for the future realistically? I mean, this is a great step forward beside the ratification of this treaty. Um, maybe I'll come to Johnny and then to Iona. Um, Johnny, what, what would your main hopes for the future be for, for disarmament um, here in Scotland, but also internationally? What would you be hoping for um, realistically in, in the time to come. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, I think as we already sort of touched on, um, you know, it's, it's unfortunately not a battle that will be won overnight, but at the same time, um, very few important battles uh, really are. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I think in terms of our hopes for the future, um, it's important to, you know, keep building um, the, the pressure in Scotland um, and across the world for nuclear disarmament. Um, I hope that here in Scotland that can mean that, you know, CND keeps growing um, and is, you know, a broad organisation taking everybody um, who's opposed to nuclear weapons. Um, and I, I think probably in the long term, our goal has to be not just seeing, uh, you know, these atrocious crimes against humanity removed from the Clyde, but um, from the world. Um, so I, I think that, um, you know, well, the, the TPNW is uh, really exciting and stokes that hope, you know, that there's big challenges that lie ahead um, in terms of uh, winning those arguments up and down the country um, and then making sure politicians are held to account and enforcing them. Um, one, one of the other things I think we um, touched on um, or haven't touched on um, and it's a big, big topic, but as well, I think, you know, we need to um, start um, having the discussion and, and winning the argument about uh, NATO, NATO membership, um, wow. because, you know, in, uh, in, in Britain today, that, that's taken as, you know, um, an orthodoxy, yeah. you know, you can't question membership in NATO, um, and, you know, the, the, in terms of what the plans have been for potentially a post-independent Scotland, um, you know, well, well, we've had very, very positive statements from the, the First Minister about nuclear weapons, at the same time, they remain committed to 
you know, NATO membership for independent Scotland. And we need to remember that uh, NATO is an aggressive nuclear first strike alliance. And, uh, you know, even if you don't have the nukes in your soil, if you're complicit in that sort of thing, um, there's a degree of culpability there. So I think that's mm. uh, something that peace campaigners um, across Scotland and, and across all of the countries that are currently involved in NATO need to have in their crosshairs. Inter that's interesting because I think that is an issue that has historically has caused huge controversy and division in the SNP, isn't it? You know, uh, there have been people that were chucked out of the party, I think. <laughs> and I think that that the I think that is an issue that has caused uh, a lot of debate and um, controversy within the party. And I'm sure in the future there'll be there'll be more debate about it, Johnny. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Iwana, how about yourself? How do you see the future? Um, what are you optimistic? Does it give you hope? Um, you know the, this treaty. Um, yeah, I mean it, it. It definitely does. I mean, I think it was. I was having this conversation actually with Johnny earlier on. Is that it's it's slightly depressing for myself coming from a standpoint that of kind of doing a bit of anti-capitalist campaigning and kind of coming at it from that standpoint of kind of facing up to the reality that actually the way that kind of the you know overall kind of disarmament is go is likely going to be facilitated is through divestment and it's only through these kind mm -hmm. of engaging with the capitalist systems that we're that we're really going to see the end to them but i think this is that's probably the the most major impact that the treaty is 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 going to have in a lot of the nuclear armed states especially straight off the bat so I, it does definitely give hope to that um, but I think for me also, I think just the the kind of the, the renewed energy that's coming with the treaty and for organizations to be looking at the ways in which ICANN is campaigning. And you start to realize, you know, in Scotland, as I, as I keep saying, you know, we always just focus on what's going on at Faslane, what about the jobs? And actually what we're kind of now starting to really kind of is look at all of the intersectionalities. I mean, yes, we have to... Uh, you know, remain the peace movement or, you know, we call it the peace movement. I think that's so fluffy. You know, it's the anti-militarism movement or the anti-war movement. But, you know, nuclear weapons are an issue that encompass so many things. You know, it's it's an environmental issue. You know, the use of even two small nuclear weapons is enough to kind of plunge us into a nuclear winter, which is essentially sort of inverse global warming. Um, but either way, you're talking about vast famine, you know, I, you know, potentially wiping out life on Earth. Um, it's an independence issue. You know, it's completely undemocratic. It's a feminist issue. You know, the effects of radioactivity are so much more severe on the bodies of women. And yet all of the kind of judgments of their severity and all of those kind of measurements are taken against the bodies of a healthy young man. Um, it's a human rights movement. You know, if you want justice for the victims of nuclear testing or just, justice for the victims of uranium mining, you know, it's an anti-capitalist issue. As, as I've said, you know, it's, it's, it, it encompasses so many things and I think yeah we're starting to kind of really wake up to that and I think that's something that the treaties really helped us to do um so I have I have a glimmer of hope we'll see it's very very moving listening to both of you I must say it really is uh, Marlene did you have something final that you wanted to ask or say to well um yes yes I did um but I think you've just covered it all, actually, because, you know, I was, um, it, it is actually inspiring hearing the, the pair of you uh, talk, um, uh, you know, what you say, but actually kind of how you say it as well. And, and I was just going to kind of say, 
um, actually, it would have to be for another time. But I was sitting here thinking, oh, these things all link up with stuff like, um, yeah, environmental issues. You know, is nuclear power um, really something that should be part of, you know, a, a green kind of economy? There's all that argument. Uh, some of the other ones you mentioned that, that particularly kind of, I think, are intriguing is the whole thing about divestment. Because there's a big divestment push to get people to support, to get capitalist, you know, the system to stop supporting the fossil fuel industry. But uh, yeah, so you mentioned that one, feminism aspect, hadn't thought of that. Um, and uh, the one thing that kind of remains in my mind is that um, just picking up on... If signatories to this treaty are obliged to help a country get rid of nuclear weapons on its soil, that is presumably something that Scotland could benefit from, you know, as and when we are independent and we've signed it. If, if there's any difficulties, let's say, um, come from Westminster or even Washington about uh, getting rid of Trident, so... I think these are all great. It'd be great to talk to you more, but I think it'll need to be a different day. But uh, thanks, uh, thanks so much for coming along. It's fantastic. It's uh, been absolutely from you. fascinating listening to both of you. You're so knowledgeable and passionate about this subject, and it's been a real pleasure to have you on the program today. So thank you very much, Iona and Johnny. And yeah. I hope you'll maybe um, come back another time and speak to us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks very much for having us. It's been a real pleasure. So we'll yeah, absolutely. I've had nothing but good experiences with indie life. And Iona, did you have a, a music request for us as well? I'm not. I can't remember if I got one from you. I did. So I I requested a song. It's called Better Things by Karina Polwart. Um, oh, Karina Polwart, obviously, very well known. Uh, trad Scottish musician she um she kind of she wrote a song kind of for the Scottish anti-nuclear movement I don't know if it's for Scottish CND or for for the for the movement anyway it was released in 2008 um and it's just yeah it's it's a lovely we it's a lovely wee tune um <laughs> all about why we shouldn't have Trident in Scotland so we're going to listen to Karin Polwart singing better things and after that we'll come back to the second half of today's daytime show and we're going to listen to an interview that Val and I have done with Isabel Lindsay. And we'll say more about that after we've heard better things. Karen Paul, what? Here she is. <laughs> 